Welcome to Comfort's Corner. I'm Paul Comfort, and this is your inside look at what's happening inside the transit industry as it responds to the impact of the coronavirus. Today is Friday, March 27th, 2020, and this is your headline news section of the uh, daily podcast. We're going to be having some changes in the podcast starting next week. We're going to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday format so we can bring you the headline news, a newsmaker interview, and a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation, every other day. And uh, each episode will be good for two days' worth of information. So that'll be on Monday. In addition, we'll be folding the podcast into my overall Transit Unplugged podcast rubric. So in other words, it'll be part of the Transit Unplugged program, but these will be the special Comforts Corner episodes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll continue with our bi-weekly programs, which are longer in-depth interviews with CEOs of transit systems uh, that we've already had scheduled and that we'll continue to do over the long term. Today, the big news is obviously the third coronavirus response bill that was passed by the U.S. Senate. And as I'm recording this, the House of Representatives is in debate They've called in members to come back to Washington, D.C. They were going to try to pass it by voice vote, but one member from Kentucky indicated he might have a problem with the bill and may hold it up so it would not be able to pass by unanimous consent. So folks are headed back to Washington in order that they can be part of this debate and potentially vote later today. This bill is exciting for the public transit industry because it appropriates $25 billion from the general fund of the Treasury to remain, quote, available until expended to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus. And so uh, this is critical, as you know, because transit systems across the country are reeling from the reductions in ridership. Most transit systems have experienced at least a 50 to 60 percent reduction in their regular ridership. Later on today's podcast, we interview Bill Carpenter, who's CEO of the transit system in Rochester, New York, and he walks us through the timeline of uh, how this thing impacted his service, and he's having the same kind of reductions. On commuter services like commuter bus and commuter train, 80, even 90% reductions in ridership. Why is that important? Well, because transit systems normally rely on not only government subsidy, but also 20 to 50% of their costs are covered by fare box revenue. And when the, the number of passengers are down, that affects fare box revenue. Additionally, many transit systems have now moved to the new normal, which is close off the front door of the bus, make people enter the bus to the rear so they don't have to interact with the driver. That then has made it impossible for them to pay their fares. So most systems now are either waiving fares or not enforcing fares. And so then you have a redoubling of the concern of reducing fares. That's especially important, again, on the commuter services who normally have a much higher fare box recovery ratio, sometimes 50 or 60 percent as compared to public bus service, which is around 20 to 30% in most systems. Subway systems, light rail systems are all experiencing the same decline. Folks are not working downtown anymore or at their place of work. Many white collar workers especially are working from home and they're not thus working uh, in the office and needing to ride in public transit. However, public transit is what's making the wheels on our economy continue to turn as the uh, folks who are on the front lines of making this economy work right now are still relying on public transit. That's the nurses and the doctors, uh, like the Johns Hopkins doctors who ride my old subway system right up into their, into their offices at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And uh, the bus service that takes uh, the grocery store worker and the pharmacy worker to where they're going, the essential functions that public transit still needs, and yet this, the amount of money they're taking in has dramatically dropped. 
And so this stimulus package will provide a record amount of funding to public transit. And the most important thing to remember, according to an Eno Center for Transportation article today that I've posted on my LinkedIn site, if you want to read the whole article, is that the entire $25 billion can be spent on anything eligible under the above paragraph and is not subject to the eligible type of projects under normal federal grants. If there is any conflict between the language in the appropriations paragraph in the coronavirus bill and language in the underlying Title 49, the language in the coronavirus bill prevails, according to this article. And the money must be apportioned to transit agencies not later than seven days after the enactment of this act and does not require the use of any local matching funds. It's 100 percent federal funded. So the anticipation is that the House will pass it by this weekend. The president has indicated he will sign the bill, and then it would take the uh, our good friend, the acting FTA administrator, Jane Williams. She'd have seven days to disperse these funds using the normal formula funding. Um, that's how it's going to be apportioned, using via the 5307 funds for urban area formulas, 5311 for rural formulas, uh, et cetera, 5337 for state of good repairs, 5307 for high density rate and rapid growth rate formulas in their relative proportions to each other that was in the fiscal 2020 apportionment using the updated apportionment factors used in those 2020 apportionments. So that's what's happening. Transit agencies across the country are uh, excited and anticipating these funds to come in and help them continue to uh, you know, keep the services running. In addition, there's a lot of private providers, folks, may not be aware of this, but across the nation, most paratransit service is actually run by private contract companies. These are the major big national companies like MV Transportation, First Transit, Transdev, Keolis, RATP Dev, and National Express are six of the big companies. These companies are funded through, um, usually it's, it's sometimes it's on a fixed plus variable cost, but most times it's on a, uh, a revenue hour basis. And so they've had to cut their hours dramatically, which is impacting their ability to continue to hold on to these drivers that are no longer in service. So all of these factors are uh, cascading out the impact of these services, and the $25 billion should be able to be used for any factor, as this article said and the bill says, that relates to responding to the COVID bill, uh, to the COVID crisis, all the way back to January 20th of this year. So that's what's happening, and today uh, we're not only going to be talking to Bill Carpenter, as I mentioned, but we're also going to be talking to Bennett Resnick, who is one of the most connected guys in Washington. Um, and uh, he's going to be telling you about what this bill actually means. He's from Cardinal Infrastructure and how it is uh, going to help the public transit industry. So make sure you stay tuned uh, for our next two Newsmaker interviews. And then at the end of the podcast, a reading uh, from our book, from the chapter from Bridget Beto, who was our guest on yesterday's episode. And she wrote a chapter on TNCs, and we continue to provide people kind of a hopeful look to the future on our podcast, the Transit Unplugged Podcast, Comfort Corner. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned for the interviews. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Paul, I'm doing great. Thanks great. for... Uh... Thanks for all you're doing, sharing best practice across the industry. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thanks for being a guest today with us on our uh, Comforts Corner podcast, as we are doing exactly that, talking to uh, getting headlines and then talking to newsmakers like yourself about, uh, you know, how the coronavirus is impacting transit in your city. 
uh, and your region. And of course, um, you're CEO of the Rochester Genesee Regional Transportation Authority in, um, in New York State, um, where your state has been one of the hardest hit in the country, right? Uh, as uh, Governor Cuomo likes to say, we're testing more and we have more positive cases, but uh, it's certainly uh, it's the epicenter of the U.S. US right now. Yeah. So tell us uh, before we get started into the impact. Uh, one little one little note for our listeners is that Bill was my uh, first guest on my other podcast, uh, Transit Unplugged, and uh, kind of helped us kick off the whole thing and wrote a chapter in my first book, Full Throttle, uh, and is a great CEO, uh, respected um, it's funny, Bill, when I, when I mentioned to the executive director of the New York State Public Transportation Association about, uh, you know, having someone on representing them, I, I thought of you, but I asked her and, you know, whose name came up first. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was happy to have you uh, on, you know, as her recommendation as well. But um, tell us a little bit about your system, you know, how big it is, because you cover a really big territory, not just Rochester, New York, but a big part of that part of the state and kind of the scope of what you do there. Oh, thanks, Paul. And uh, I just uh, need to tell the listeners that every time someone says what a great reputation I have, my wife reminds me there's still laundry to do and dishes to wash when you get home. <laughs> that's right. Keeps us uh, grounded, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, so Rochester, New York uh, is the county seat for Monroe County, one of eight counties we serve in upstate New York. So we don't get over as far as Buffalo to the west or Syracuse to the east. But we have a good uh, section of uh, the Finger Lakes area and uh, the home of uh, Kodak. Um, so what's left away and just a great community, uh, innovative group of people that work here and have had great success around the world. And uh, it's a pleasure to serve our local community. And you operate uh, primarily fixed route bus and paratransit? Uh so in the Monroe County, uh, we do about 220 fixed route buses, uh, 50 or 60 paratransit vehicles. And then in the seven regional counties, we have another 150 uh, regional type buses uh, taking care of about 16 million customers a year. Very good. So walk us through kind of what's been happening there over the last few weeks and bring us up to where you're at today. Uh, so we had our board meeting uh, last Thursday, March 19th, uh, and I just I showed a picture from March 3rd where we had 100 employees uh, at our quarterly employee meeting. Business was so normal. In a week later, I was in our state capital. Our budget, uh, state budget is due April 1st and, uh, with my tin cup looking for more money for transit. Uh, but that day we were hurt. We're told that the first uh, person in our community with the virus had tested positive. Uh, by Saturday, uh, March uh, 14th, we had had the first community spread positive test. And at that point in time, everything changed dramatically. Ridership was normal on Thursday, March 12th. By Tuesday, uh, St. Patrick's Day, ridership was down 50%. Wow. So it's been a, a significant change. Uh, is this happened. Uh, we didn't wait for the, the virus to be in our community. We began uh, disinfecting buses differently following uh, State Department of Health changes, uh, getting buses disinfected more frequently, wiping down surfaces. We have a beautiful award-winning transit center in our downtown area. Uh, three yes, times. I've been there. It's great. Uh, three times a day, we're, we're wiping down those surfaces uh, so initially it was, let's, let's just keep it away from everyone. 
but once there was community spread, we immediately stopped collecting fare media on those buses uh, that did not have a fare box. So uh, our regional buses, those 150, people take cash or punch a fare card. Uh, we stopped that immediately. People w- rode for free. Our paratransit buses, people rode for free. And beginning last Friday, March 19th, we joined a lot of uh, other agencies around the country that for our 40-foot fixed route buses enter in the uh, rear door. No one has to touch a fare box. Uh, allows the bus operator to be in a safer environment and allows all our customers not to have to touch the fare box where two or 300 people a day would normally be touching a hard surface. It would be a great place for community spread. So uh, we've we've changed things dramatically um, over the last two weeks. Um, and uh, we're using the excess capacity for our paratransit buses Uh, to now deliver supplies. We're out today uh, delivering hand sanitizer. Uh, New York State has made available to the community cases of hand sanitizer. They needed a way to deliver it from their warehouse here to the about 25 not-for-profit agencies that need it. Uh, RTS, uh, the name we go by locally, is the one that got the call. And so we're safely a product around the community. It's one of the things that I was invited by my congressman, Joe Morelli. Uh, would I participate in a call with the other community leaders in town, the county, the city leaders, the United Way, major not-for-profits? And in those calls every day, we share what are the needs of the community and what are the resources. Uh, and so a terrific outreach into the community. Um, just shifting internally a little bit, Paul, uh, going back to uh, March 10, March 11, March 12, is this uh, was becoming a higher and higher focus. We began meeting with our union leadership uh, since that first community spread positive test. Uh, our senior leaders have been meeting every day, seven days a week, to make sure decisions can be made that are well-informed and can be executed in a timely way. Meeting with our union representatives to make sure that we're hearing from the front lines, what do the employees need? What can we get our hands on? I'll go back to those community calls. Everybody needs masks. Well, uh, I think doctors and nurses should get them first. I think bus operators, bus cleaners should also get them. But we have people dealing with the mentally ill, people in homeless shelters, uh, people delivering food across the community. Huge need. But the collective ask is all in one spot. And we're getting our share of masks as those come into the community. So having that communication with your senior leaders, with the community, with your union leadership, allows for resources to be properly allocated, decisions to be made that are better informed, and then decisions quickly communicated so you can be uh, consistent over, uh, we have 11 different operating companies uh, with that geographic area we have. So good communication, daily emails going out to everyone in the company on any changes that day. That's been critical. Oh, that's good. You're doing daily emails to everyone? That's correct. Uh, specific to the... Wow, that's great. Specific to the coronavirus, what, are the, what yeah. are the changes the governor has announced and how does that affect public transportation? So at the end of the day, every employee gets an email. Uh, here's the changes. Here's changes in federal law. Here's changes in state law. Here's how they impact our attendance policies. Um, so just a tremendous communication uh, effort uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, 
we're doing a video message. We're kind of changing or uh, taking something out of the Paul Comfort handbook. Get your get mm-hmm. your face and message to the people. So we're doing weekly uh, messages on our U- YouTube channel uh, to the employees so that they can see me um, and hear from me. Uh, my gratitude for those that are able to work. If you have underlying health conditions, uh, people should stay home. Uh, if you're over age 70, our employees should say, stay home. We have uh, over two dozen employees over age 70 uh, that we've encouraged to stay home. Uh, I'm doing frequent messages to, uh, to keep them up to date. They've given, uh, you know, they'd say, Bill, whatever decisions you need to make, you've got our support, which is terrific. Uh, and uh, I stole something from the playbook of another agency out there that I encourage all CEOs to do, uh, which is this morning I got on the radio and did a shout out to all the bus operators to thank them while they're on the bus uh, so that they can hear it. And uh, those customers on the bus that are able to hear it uh, could as well. Uh, and Paul, I got to give thanks to uh, Secretary Chow and Acting Administra- Administrator Jane Williams all those in Washington mm. that are today passing uh, this third level stimulus provides the funding we need to be the infrastructure for mobility in our community. And it's not just public transit now, but as I said, food delivery, delivering hand sanitizer, getting emergency personnel uh, to where they need to be, say a, a homeless shelter that has someone that tests positive. How do they get the healthcare professionals there uh, we're available to serve them. And uh, two quotes that I would leave uh, with folks. Uh, someone passed along to me today that uh, pessimists see an obstacle in every opportunity. Uh, optimists see opportunity in every obstacle. And as you're dealing with these intense meetings, you have the optimists and the pessimists and they're, they're sharing with each other. The leader needs to understand they both have this situation correct. Uh, there are obstacles to every opportunity and there is opportunity in every obstacle. And that leader needs to be able to pull out the truth of that, get everyone on the same page, make a decision and then execute uh, in unison. And the last thing for leaders, uh, something that was told to me uh, a few months ago, my dad died and I came to work maybe a day or two too early. And I, I tapped out of a, a public luncheon that I was at. And someone who I highly admire runs one of the local not-for-profits uh, said, Bill, where are you going? And I told him my dad had died. And he said, you know, Bill, uh, and this is someone who deals with leukemia. It's in remission right now. Um, but he said, Bill, self-care cannot be delegated. Do what you need as a leader to take care of yourself. Everyone is counting on the CEOs. You need to make sure you're taking care of yourself so that the people depending on you get your best. That is just tremendous words, Bill. I mean, what great leadership all the way around. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I imagine after this podcast, you'll be getting some calls from other CEOs to kind of, you could help them put together a matrix of all those seven things you said you're uh, doing. Uh, just tremendous. Thank you so much for sharing with our audience today some of what I consider best practices uh, and how to respond Thanks, to Thanks, Paul. Thanks for all you're doing for the industry. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Hello, Bennett. How are you doing? Good. How are you? 
Great. Thanks for being with us. We've got Bennett Resnick, uh, Deputy Counsel and Director of Government Relations for Cardinal Infrastructure in Washington, D.C., with us on the Newsmaker Line. Thanks so much for being with us today, Bennett. My pleasure. Yeah, Bennett and I uh, have worked together on uh, – Bennett's been, to me, my lifeline into Washington, D.C., and provided me over the last couple of years lots of good detailed information about what's happening in the front lines. And so it's, an, uh, it's great to have you with us today to kind of share with us what's happening in Washington, D.C., Yes, happy to. Thanks, Paul. So the big news today, obviously, is that uh, you and I are talking at around 11 a.m. on Friday, March 27th. And at this time, the House of Representatives is debating the Senate passed bill, which would provide $25 billion in relief uh, to the public transit industry. Tell us what you know about it. Sure. So on, on March 25th, the, the Senate passed the bill. It's called the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, or also known as CARES Act. And that passed unanimously by a vote of 96 to zero. Um, House leaders, as you mentioned, Paul, are, are debating right now and should wrap up debate around uh, 12 p.m. today um, uh, and have a uh, hopefully uneventful voice vote later on this afternoon. Um, the, the, the plan is to pass the measure by a voice vote, and that will work only if, if no members ask for a roll call vote on the $2 trillion package. Now, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has uh, reportedly said he was hopeful that Republicans who oppose the measure would use their debate time today to voice objections instead of blocking the voice vote. Um, if a member does request a, a roll call vote or a recorded vote, it would take a quorum of 216 members. So some have flown back yesterday, uh, including the, the House uh, Chairman of Transportation Infrastructure Committee, DeFazio, to, um, to vote on this measure if it calls for a roll call vote. Um, so hopefully we'll have the package passed today have the president sign today or tomorrow and have the, have uh, checks being cut by next week. Yes, that's wonderful. So tell us uh, what's in the bill and how can public transit agencies spend the money? Sure. So there's $25 billion that's to remain available until expended. Now, the big significance here is that the Senate adopted the House version. So the Senate original COVID-19 response bill had $20 billion to remain available until expended. The House version had $25 billion. The Senate adopted the House, House language, so $25 billion is available for transit agencies. Now, these funds are allocated under the existing formulas, the 5307, uh, 5311, 5337, and 5340. Now, Eno Transportation's Jeff Davis has, has done an analysis of this, and so that would mean $13.8 billion for urban areas, $1.8 billion for rural areas, 7.5 billion for state of good repair and 1.7 billion for the fast growth high density formula grants. Now, once this bill is signed into law, FTA has seven days to apportion the money and to allocate that money to transit agencies. So agencies will be able to be, to be able to access these funds seven days after the enactment of this bill. In terms of what agencies can use the money for, the funds are for operating expenses related to the COVID-19 response. Now, this isn't just forward-looking. These funds can be used for operating expenses incurred as of um, uh, January, I believe it's, it's January 20th. 20th, right? Yes, so yeah. January 20th, um, 2020, which is, which is excellent. Um, so that's retroactive. Some right. of them have experienced a lot of costs in the last month, and they can use this to kind of reimburse those costs, it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this isn't just for operating. So typically for operating expenses, it's um, 
for populations of 200,000 and below, but there's a uh, exemption in the language. So, so populations of 200,000 and above can, um, those transit agencies can use the money for operating expenses. Um, now, in terms of what, what's considered operating expenses to, to, um, to deal with the COVID-19 response, uh, funds can be used for costs to maintain service, uh, to help with loss of revenue, to purchase personal protective equipment for their operators or, or other um, um, materials for, for riders, such as hand sanitizer. Um, it also can be used for paying administrative leave uh, of, for operations uh, personnel due to the reduction in, in their services. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, things eligible. Now, although these the specific operating expenses are outlined in the bill, there are other operating costs that can be eligible. That's good. Like, like uh, contracted costs for contracted providers, those kind of things. Exactly. Yes, that's good. So I'm talking with Bennett Resnick, who is deputy counsel and director of government relations for one of the nation's leading firms that work in Washington, D.C., representing transportation agencies, Cardinal Infrastructure. What else can you tell us about the bill and uh, what do you foresee happening in the next week or two as it relates to this funding uh, perhaps another round, perhaps a corrections bill. Give us a, a look forward now. Sure. The other thing I want to mention that's in this bill is is the oversight piece of this. So the, okay. the bill includes $5 million for the, the, the U.S. DOT's Office of the Inspector General. And that's for conducting audits, investigations of projects and activities that are carried out with funds made available under this under this legislation. So it's not as if there's no reporting requirements by the transit agencies. These are for reimbursable costs that have to be reviewed by FTA. Um, and likely will come up in a triennial review. So there, that makes sense. So there is, there is funding for that. Um, in terms of a, a, another package, uh, Speaker Pelosi had called for a fourth stimulus package, outlined her priorities for it yesterday. Uh, House Democrats intend to introduce another measure in the weeks ahead um, to be a fourth stimulus bill. Now, that being said, the Senate has recessed and plans to not return until April 20th. That's according to Senate Majority Leader McConnell's recent announcement. Um, also, the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says that he favors seeing if the, the, the three bills that are going to be passed, the two bills that haven't passed and the one that should pass today, to see if those are helpful in recovery efforts before moving forward on a fourth bill. Okay. So what this bill, the, the latest bill does not provide is the level of assistance to state and local governments that was anticipated. There's $150 billion dollars for um, state, tribal, and, um, and local governments. So Speaker Pelosi in the fourth package is looking to increase that coronavirus relief fund for the states um, and also have it apply to jurisdictions beneath the 500,000 population threshold. So right now it's 500,000 above that are eligible for this. And so she wants to correct that in the next package. Um, in the previous bills that have passed, we have seen um, technical correction language. Uh, I expect because of the level of funds and the significance of this bill, we may also see technical corrections for, for this legislation that's going to be passed soon and signed by the president. So um, I do anticipate uh, other opportunities for transit to get access to either additional funding, make corrections to the language that's going to be passed or that has already been passed. And in a fourth package, maybe find uh, additional opportunities to get funding for manufacturers or suppliers, um, other areas of the transportation industry. That, that might be uh, negatively affected by the coronavirus response. 
Very good. Yeah, I know that um, a lot of the motor coach companies that provide commuter bus service are hurting right now as well, because not only are they not providing much commuter bus service, but they're also not able to do their tours and all that because everything's been shut down. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Anything else you can tell us about all this that our listeners may be interested in? I, th- I think that's it for now. What, 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 okay. What's very exciting here is just the, the level of funding that's available. I mean, if you look at the, the program funding under the urban formula and rural formula, um, you know, you're looking at, you know, close to $20 billion if you're tacking on um, the FY 2020 numbers. So in addition to the 2020 appropriations and what's in the CARES Act, you're seeing in total about $33.9 billion for transit, which is such a significant investment, especially considering these hard times. It's the most that's ever been invested at the federal level in public transportation, right? Yes. By far. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And so uh, I think there's a lot of uh, hope in the industry that people are now uh, in Washington and really local politicians as well are, are learning that public transportation is not a nicety. It's not like a cruise. You know, it's nice to go on a cruise, but it's not necessary. It's not even like an airplane ride, which, again, is a great thing, but you don't always have to take it. Public transportation is a necessary service. It's a um, it's something that without which our economy really could not function. Exactly, Paul. And and, w- and what we're seeing at transit responding in such a positive way, um, they're, they're still operating service, although some are, are cutting service, but still operating, still functional, being able to transport uh, medical workers, healthcare workers, uh, people in law enforcement, those that are, are helping sustain our economy and help respond to the coronavirus. Very good. Well, Bennett Resnick, uh, Deputy Counsel and Director of Government Relations for Cardinal Infrastructure, this has been very informative. And if you don't mind, uh, once the bill passes, we may call you back on in a couple of weeks to see if you can give us an update on things in Washington. Sounds great. Happy to join. Uh, thanks. Take care. Thank you. I'm Paul Comfort, and thanks for staying with us today on Comfort's Corner for our final portion of the show. We take a look forward. We look to the future and not just what the current crisis is. Uh, You know, like Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind and work your way back. And that's what we're doing. The end is where are we going as an industry? And that's what my book, The Future of Public Transportation, shows us with 40 top futurists and leaders of the industry guiding the way. One of the leaders was uh, Bridget Beto, who wrote Chapter 33. She's chief executive officer of Luminor Consulting Group uh, and was just on the cover of American DBE magazine. She's very active in WTS and um, her company helps transit agencies integrate new technology and techniques to stay on the cutting edge. The chapter she wrote, which starts on page 297 in the book, talks about uh, TNCs like Uber and Lyft and uh, what their role is in the public transportation industry. I'll read an excerpt right now. She says, that's why adopting TNC-like apps and mobile ticketing and payment options sooner rather than later is key for keeping public transit viable in the face of growing transportation choices. These technologies create new possibilities that TNCs have already begun to pursue, like a single seamless payment interface that enables multimodal trips that incorporate ride-sharing, buses, bikes, and a cup of coffee, or offering discounts and other loyalty incentives that increase customer usage. I'm going to break away for a moment and say this will be even more key as we get past this COVID-19 crisis and people, we want to attract them back into transit. 
making sure you've got those apps in place that do all the things she mentioned will be key into making it attractive to um, recruit new passengers and also to get the riders of yesterday to get back on the bus. Now back to the book. Instead of competing against TNCs, I believe the most forward-looking public transit agencies will look for opportunities to collaborate with them. That's because companies like Uber and Lyft are already operating in hundreds of cities, so every dollar they invest in software development scales better than dollars that metropolitan or even regional public transit agencies invest toward the same ends. Every customer they sign up in one city becomes a potential customer in every city. At the same time, it makes sense for TNCs to collaborate with public transit, too, because of how public transit complements the services they offer. Thus, in partnership with the Denver Regional Transportation District, Uber now presents light rail or buses as an option alongside UberX and UberPool to Denver users. And if you pick public transit, you can purchase your tickets through the app. In Santa Monica, where Lyft now offers regular offers electric scooter rentals along with ride sharing, it has integrated a nearby transit feature into its app that shows route information and schedules for the city's bus and light rail options. As these kinds of approaches become more widespread, with users mixing on-demand micro-mobility options with light rail, buses, and vans, not all of which are necessarily operated by the same company or agency, the ability to keep payments simple on the user's side while simultaneously enabling revenue sharing and the clearance of funds on the back end will become increasingly important. And no doubt, some public transit agencies wary of sharing user data or losing the customer relationship altogether will try to integrate TNCs into their own apps rather than the other way around. But, but companies like Uber and Lyft are first and foremost technology companies. They've pioneered the app-based customer experiences that users have come to expect. And they have the expertise to maintain their dominant positions in software development for the foreseeable future. She says later on in the chapter, in the end, public transit can and should remain at the heart of the multimodal transportation ecosystems that are starting to take shape in cities around the world. Its ability to move large numbers of people quickly in spatially efficient fashion is key to making increasingly congested cities more livable and environmentally sustainable. But the competition for riders will also continue to increase as will rider expectations regarding ease of use, reliability, and efficiency. To successfully adapt to these changing conditions, public transit agencies should move forward with a strategically collaborative mindset. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, they should seek out partnerships with software developers, system integrators, and other IT professionals who can help them deliver best-of-class experiences that it will take to succeed in an environment where every rider is a choice rider. Indeed, the multimodal transportation future, it's all about sharing the ride. Again, that's from uh, chapter 33 in my book, The Future of Public Transportation. This chapter written by Bridget Bado, CEO of Luminor Consulting Group. Thanks for being with us today on this episode of Transit on, uh, of uh, the Future. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today on this episode of Comfort's Corner, which is going to turn into Transit Unplugged as of Monday. And that's where I was going with this. Uh, as of Monday, we're folding this podcast into the overall rubric of uh, my regular popular podcast, Transit Unplugged. So we'll have Monday, Wednesday, and Friday shows for the Comfort Corner version. And then every two weeks, we'll continue with our 30-minute in-depth conversation with CEOs on our regular episodes of Transit Unplugged. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you on Monday.